Round Talk. We're coming to you live from WSIC, the Real Talk Studio, nestled on the banks of beautiful Lake Norman, streaming worldwide from Selma, Alabama to Orangeburg, South Carolina, population 12,482. I'm Bill Russell, your host today. I'm President of Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce, the largest chamber of commerce in the Charlotte region. My guests today are Dan Houston. He's a leadership coach and DEI thought leader, John Foster, who is the co-owner of Foster's Frame and Art Gallery, and Ruby Houston. She's a retired Charlotte-Mecklenburg school teacher. And my producer in the other room, Bill Blakely. Bill, we got a big event coming up this coming weekend. I can't imagine what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you have a dog in that fight? I got to go with my man, Steve Wilkes. Okay, Steve I, Wilkes. I got to go with Coach Wilkes. Okay. Ruby? Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes. Okay. Dan? I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't really have a dog in that fight, but I tell you, I'd love to see um, KC win again. I just, I just feel good about them. John? I have mixed emotion about it. I'm a huge uh, Mahone fan, but, uh, but Steve Wilkes is very special to me also. But it's one of those that I have my toes in, uh, in both, both hats. Yeah. Well, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, but now I'm a San Francisco 49er because I, I want to see Christian get a Super Bowl ring. I, mm. Also, uh, Devo Samuel, South Carolina guy, so uh, I'd like to see them do good. Uh, today is our focus on Black History Month, and Bill, you heard me a little bit earlier allude to <clears throat> Orangeburg, South Carolina. On February 8th, 1968, in Orangeburg, three South Carolina State University students were killed and dozens wounded after 200 students protested racial segregation at a bowling alley. The students were fired on by the South Carolina Highway Patrol in an event that became known as the Orangeburg Massacre. In 1961, a group of nine African-American men were arrested at a staging sit-in at a segregated McCrory's lunch counter in my hometown of Rock Hill. The group gained national attention, sparked many other sit-ins across the nation, including right here in Charlotte. A major goal of these jail no-bail protests was to strain the prison system and force integration. The group became known as the Friendship Nine because they were from Friendship College there in Rock Hill. It's a historically black college that was established in 1891, though it was closed in 1981. And Dan, it's actually now burned down and, and has been demolished. Mm. A basketball player from that school, Hawthorne Wingo, played in the NBA and was actually an NBA Finals champion. So a little, a little bit there. Mm. April 17th, 1963, Malcolm X delivered a speech at a mosque in Columbia denouncing political leaders. On April 25th, U.S. Attorney General Robert Kennedy, brother of John Kennedy, spoke at the University of South Carolina, stating that the practical needs of the world today would compel our national government to do everything possible to eliminate racial discrimination. And in 1967, Martin Luther King gave a speech in Charleston, where he encouraged African-Americans to vote and protest racial inequality. It was a very, very turbulent 60s. I have to tell you, Dan, in, in, 19, in 2016, the Charlotte riot. Uh, we, we watched that three days in September in 2016. It was over the shooting of Keith Lamont mm -hmm. Scott. And I called my then diversity chairman, uh, Chris Haley. And Chris Haley, uh, I often say that he was like a brother from a different mother, brother, a mother, because he literally was uh, kind of an anomaly, African-American man who was a conservative Republican. Mm -hmm. And I called Chris and I said, what the heck is going on? I mean, I, I thought we were so far away from this. And Chris was quiet for a second. And then he said, Bill, 
It's a tipping point. And he said, you can't see through the lens of my eyes, and I can't see through yours. And it was profound, and, and I really hadn't thought about that. Um, my question, Dan, you're our diversity chair for the Chamber of Commerce. Are we there yet? It's such a good question, and I think it's a, it, it, it's, it's a layered question, too. And the reason I say layer, because there are, there are many ways that we can point to and say we've made so much progress. I mean, there's so many things that we've done, but then there's so many things that we still need to do. Mm -hmm. And then there's some things that we really need to acknowledge that happened in the past that we haven't acknowledged yet. We kind of swept it on the rug and we continue to do that. So we, we, we have some things that I'm really proud of a lot of things that I see accomplishment. We have, we have a couple of historians here. Oh, yeah. uh, if they start telling you about where things were, even like as far back as 1976 to where things are now in 2024, they would, they would say a lot, we've made a lot of changes. It's not just about tearing down the water, <laughs> the water fountains where blacks couldn't drink the same water that whites. It was, it, it's a layered kind of question, right. that I think. We know there's been some progress. But here's the thing that I love about this, is that we know where we ought to make progress. How does that sound? I mean, that it used to be before we just couldn't figure out, okay, everything's so fuzzy and crazy, and we just didn't have no awareness of where we should be going. And now it's almost <clears throat> like it's an awareness that, hey, we can put a man on Mars, and we know how to do that. But a couple of years ago, we didn't know how to do that. But right now, I think we know where the gaps are, we know where what we need to be moving forward on. And when we're not moving forward, I tell you one thing, these young people tell us. Right. They tell us, you're not moving where you should be doing, where you should be going. So I like that question, it's a laid question, but I feel almost intimidated because of the two other guests that we have here. <laughs> uh, to answer that question you know, is, is, is And you amazing. alluded to, Ruby is the only person, I'm from Rock Hill, so I'm a Charlotte native of the area. But Ruby, you, you were born and raised here. Ruby, uh, she worked for Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools for 36 years. Tell her last name, by the way. Houston. Ruby <laughs> Houston. But, but no, re, no relation, we don't think, or maybe uh, maybe your far distant cousin. But you were a native of Davidson, and you were the first, you were, you were part of the first integrated class at North Mecklenburg High School. And I can't imagine how scary that had to be. It was scary for our parents. It was scary for our parents. And I don't think that we were as aware of the fear that we were exposed to when we walked inside of the building. And Mr. Huff, the principal of the school, did everything in, he could do. Were you 15, 14? Yeah, 15. 15. Went to the 10th grade. He tried in every way possible to help make this a smooth transition. But when you have thousands of students in a building that come from every home and every walk of life. What's walking in the building can make a difference. I went through some great things, learned a lot, but there were some not so good things that happened to us from riding on the school bus, from standing at the bus stop, from eating in the cafeteria. I remember one day a student sit beside me and she looked at me like she did not want me to be close to her. She was Caucasian. And I looked at her and I said, it won't rub off. Gosh. It won't rub off. 
and there was never an altercation in that. My parents taught me to treat everybody, to respect everybody. But the journey, the walk on a day-to-day basis was somewhat difficult. Ruby, how many African-American students were in that class? Oh, it's hard to remember. I remember when we graduated, there was a total of 457, I believe. And even to today, the members of that class come together Mm. on a monthly basis and we meet we give back to the community. Those that of us that are African-American in 20, when we faced the pandemic, we gave Charlotte Mecklenburg School System $1,000 for technology for the North Mecklenburg area because we still care. It was hard for us, but we're not mad. And most of us have made it to a place in our lives where we can give back. So we work very hard to make sure that we go back and reach other younger folk to help them. When we come back from a break, uh, we're going to talk to Dan and John about some of the things that we're doing right here in Lake Norman to address those things. Stay with us on Town Talk. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Welcome back to Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. I'm here with Ruby Houston. She is a retired from Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. Uh, John Foster, who is the co-owner of Foster's Frame and Art Gallery. Dan Houston, leadership coach and our diversity chair of the Chamber of Commerce. And Ruby, I want to go back to a quote that I found. It said, other African-American students volunteered to go before me, but I was part of the first full class of 65. We called ourselves the journey class and we still stayed in touch. And you talked about that in the very last segment. It I think about over 10 years ago, we decided that we needed to come together to, and as you come together, build a strong unity to give back to the community and help provide resources and support families in need. Um, This is, we meet once a month. We meet by telephone six times a year, and we meet in the Davidson Presbyterian Church Fellowship, uh, Fellowship Hall. Um, when we meet, basically we make decisions about where the needs are in the community, who we need to help and who we need to support. And we also have a lot of fun. We just (laughs) met this weekend and we have a covered dish and it was exciting. But this was the time of the year in January where we make, we focus on the plans for the rest of the year. What are we going to do? What are we going to do for the community? What are we going to do for the churches? What are we going to do to give back to the young children? Right. And those things are most important to us. Our last big thing I said we gave back to Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. We gave this year uh, funds to a classmate's son who had a serious illness, a stroke, Mm -hmm. who worked every day in Walmart. So to go back and to give back is important to us. And to be encouragers about voting and the right to vote because so many people suffered. Mm-hmm. and could not vote. John, in the opening, I talked about Selma, Alabama, and Martin Luther King, he stood at the podium in Selma, and he said, the measure of a man mm-hmm. is where he stands, not in times of comfort convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. And we're still in very challenging and controversial times. It is the most bitter partisanship of my lifetime right now. We, we still have a lot of strife, a lot of th- things we need to overcome. Um, but I asked that question a while ago of Dan. Are we getting there? Yeah, we still have a long way to go. 
Um, it's funny that you mentioned Selman. Um, you know, there's a number of cities that um, that I, in my notes, that I put down over the last several days that I wanted to come in about. Uh, one's right here in North Carolina, and that's Wilmington. You know, I don't think that we really can celebrate and understand American history, uh, African-American history, in just one month. I think that's something that we really need to expand. And I'm greatly concerned and disappointed with uh, many of the states uh, eliminating uh, books and readings uh, that I think is so critical um, um, that I think that we all need to dive into to understand where we are as, as a country and where we are as a race of people. I think African-Americans uh, in my lifetime never will be able to be recognized for some of the accomplishments that we really have contributed to get us as a country where we are today. Uh, I think we can get further down the road, but there's also other groups of, of races that I think have played a huge part in, uh, in, in, in that also. Uh, and I won't expand on it because I don't have enough time. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, yesterday we went to see a movie and that movie was The Killer of the Flower Moon. If you have not seen it, I recommend to anyone that's listening today, you should go see it. Uh, Killer of the Flower Moon is about Native Americans. Um, very touching movie, but a very true true movie. But it also in the movie, they talked about uh, uh, Tulsa. You know, we can talk about Tulsa. We can talk about Wilmington. And, and you probably look at me and say, Wilmington? Yes, Wilmington. We can talk about Forsyth County, Georgia, and, and on and on. But I think we need to continue to have conversation like this to talk about where we are. But I think we need to do more as a community and more as a country to talk about our history and our past. Uh, another one that does in your great state of South Carolina, as you guys say, um, everyone needs to go to Charleston mm. to visit the International uh, Museum of African-American History. It is a must visit, but I think it'll give us uh, even a clearer picture about who African-Americans are in this country, where we came from and what we really contributed uh, to uh, to this country. Um, Ruby, when those riots occurred in 2016 and then there were a lot of people concerned about what might happen up here in Mooresville, Lake Norman, I really didn't think that that would spread to Lake Norman because, because of the work that Ada Jenkins, the Unity and Community, our, our area police forces do with the area uh, National Night Out. I really felt like the communities of Cornelius and Davidson and Huntersville work so closely together, and particularly, again, Ada Jenkins and Unity and Community. Um, and what would you say about that? Would you say that that's, that's Pretty accurate or? It's accurate, but I would say the possibility is always there. Yeah. It only takes one person sure. uh, to incite trouble at one, at one point. So I think we need to, in every way possible, to grow groups within the churches, sure. within the schools. The work needs to be done within the schools, first of all. And I think there's a lot that has been done. 
But we need to continue to strengthen that. Right. So that we can talk about justice and injustice and children can understand because the breakdown of the family in some cases, we're not talking about that because we're not in the time when my class integrated North Mecklenburg High School. We're in a different day, but everything is not beautiful. Right. John? Bill, if you look at uh, race riots in America over the over the, the history of race riots in America, all the the majority uh, all the race riots really have not ever happened in non African American communities. They primarily have always been in African American uh, poverty type communities. I can't answer why. Uh, that's it's been that way, but um, so I think rest of America really have not really just been touched by those. It's normally areas where people actually live and socialize and spend time where most of those riots have taken place. Dan, you're the chair of our diversity council, and tomorrow we have a big program coming up at Ada Jenkins. I just mentioned it. You want to share what we're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it 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 just is a good continuation from the conversation we're having now because the you know each year the diversity council which right away probably one of the fewest uh chamber of commerce in this whole country that has a diversity council and the whole idea of a diversity council is to make sure that and i'm gonna use the word people of color and women have a voice in the business community the nonprofit community in the ways some of the things that that Ruby's talked about in terms of how do we give back? There should be an org- organized way that we can give back. So every year, the Diversity Council here, we have a a Black uh, History Month celebration. And we typically bring together a group of folks in a panel discussion. I think, Ruby, you, yes. you did it last, last year for yes, us, I didn't did. you? Mm-hmm. And, and we always have a theme. And this year, we have a theme. We call it the Trilogy of African-American History. And this is a, a basically a committee. I love this committee because it's a multi-racial committee that represents the Diversity Council. And they came up with this theme, the Trilogy of African-American History. And that trilogy includes the, the history, the challenges, and the solutions for the African-American communities. And so when you think about that, so often we think about Black History Month, we think about looking backwards. And I think in so many people in the Black community just don't want to look backwards. They want right. to, they want to look forward, mm-hmm. and it's good. We've got to think about our history. We've got to know our history because if we don't, then of course the you know the quote is, you you don't remember your history. There's you're bound to repeat it. So we have history and we have challenges, and this is the challenges that we talked about that the African American community right commun, uh, communities right here in Lake Norman really wrestle with, and that's you know we we, we wrestle with poverty, as John mentioned. We wrestle with health disparities. We, we wrestle with uh, educational lack. Um, there's a lot of things. And, you know, issue transportation is a huge issue for the African-American community. Um, and so there's some challenges that we face. But then there's also an area where we have solutions. So this year, we, we decided, well, let's look at some some housing issues. Uh-huh. And so we, we want to spotlight uh, three dominant uh, communities. Uh, uh, and it's the uh, in Huntersville we look at the Pottstown Heritage uh, Group uh-huh. that deals with a lot of the issues 
and challenges and solutions in the Pottsdale, Pottstown's community. Then we want to look at Cornelius, and that's, of course, uh, Smithfield Community Issues, and the Smithfield Community Coalition is dealing with history, challenges, and solutions. And then we want to look at a fairly new organization in West Davidson called Legacy on the West Side, which actually helps people deal with some of the, the challenges that they face. And there could be some challenges around just how do you basically do some stuff to keep keep the landlord away right. from time to time. We've got about a minute before we go to our sponsors. Mm -hmm. uh, can anybody be part of the diversity committee council? Yes, and that's that's the beauty of it. In fact, this last time we had when we were trying to come up with the theme, it was such a good mixture of folks: women, white women, black women, uh, uh, black men. <laughs> I should say there and uh, and again, as Ruby said, different ages, different right. age groups. Mm -hmm. So it really does represent a diversity in the chamber. And if you want information on the diversity council, you can do it at Lake Norman Chamber's website at lakenormanchamber.org or or call down to the Lake Norman Chamber and we'll give you information. Right, we're going to go to a break and we'll be right back here on Town Talk on WSIC. Stay with us. Welcome back to Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. I am here with Dan Houston. He is the diversity chair for Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce. Ruby Houston, she is a former school teacher with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. John Foster is the co-owner of Foster's Frame and Art Gallery. John, we've been talking about diversity, and long before the chamber had a diversity council in 2008, you were on the board of directors. You came to us with an idea, and you said, let's do, uh, I think we called it first the Hispanic Festival, then we changed it to Latino Festival, had it at Huntersville Elementary School, really big success. And then we had a recession that kind of put things on its heel a little bit. But talk about why did we put together a Latino Festival? Bill, I felt like that we wanted to make sure that the Latino community felt at home in our area and also I think it was important that we as a, as a community need to get to understand the Latino community better and the Latino community to get to know uh, their neighbors better. Um, it's obvious that the Latino community is going to be a major player in North Carolina oh, and in our country. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we understand each other and understand each other culture, I think this is critical. And I think that's one reason why we wanted to do it. And I think early on. I think that's why it was such a success. And it's unfortunately that uh, we don't have something like that uh, even to today. John, for over 10 years, you've been working in the homeless shelters downtown in Charlotte, feeding men and women who are homeless. Uh, what drives you to do that? Um, I understand what it is not to have. Um, and Many of those people, if you if you talk to many folks that live in in the homeless shelter, you know, they really are just a uh, a stone throw away from being able to get back on their feet. You know, America is a very unforgiving uh, country in a sense. Um, you know, and they don't understand if you've never been in a situation where you didn't have. It's difficult to understand why someone get into that position and various reasons why. So I think many of the people there, they're just like us. 
John, uh, you are co-owner with AJ Foster's Frame and Art Gallery. Uh, you've done most, probably all of my framing. Tell us a little bit about your business. Bill, mm -hmm. we uh, have been in business now 23 plus years. Um, and, you know, we ask ourselves, why? Why do we get into something like this? And a friend of mine uh, from in Texas, when we would think about doing this, and her attitude was that, John, if you want to do it because you want to get rich, don't do it. She said, now, if, uh, if you want to do it, and uh, if you do it right, you can make a good living. The biggest thing that I think that we have gotten out of our business is the relationships that we have um, made with our customers and the stories that we have learned, things that customers talk about. When you spend anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour with the customer, there's a lot of conversation. So, you know, that's we wouldn't take anything for the relationships that we have and the stories that we've heard from our customers and also what we share with our customers mm -hmm. about our lives. Mm -hmm. I can echo that, too, because I've been to the shop a few times and I wish there was a coffee area where I could sit down, have a cup of coffee and talk to John and his wife. I mean, that's. I, when I go there, I got to stand up the whole time, John. So I want you to know my <laughs> suggestion is that you give us a little coffee space, man. We can sit down and a cup of coffee because it's, it's, I tell you, it's a, a gathering place. And you go, go there, you just, yeah. not only do you look at great artwork, but the history that they talk about. And, and you know, you can exchange if you're an art lover. You, it's a good place to go to exchange stuff. I love that. Ruby, people make assumptions about other people. And um, these two gentlemen know this, but not a lot of people know it. I'm, my sister uh, is gay, and she's married to an African-American woman. Um, and that being said, I love my sister. She was big in sports, had a scholarship to Belmont Abbey. Uh, your daughter, Ashley, she was also very active in sports. The one thing I do still struggle with, though, are the transgendered athletes that compete. And we're talking about diversity and equity here. Um, I, I really struggle with, say, a biological male who has gone through and maybe doesn't transition until their, their late teens, and now they're competing, swimming, running against females, perhaps taking away a, a scholarship that Ashley or Tanya could have had, taking away records. Is that fair? And I'm going to ask you, John, because you have a daughter in sports. Bill, that's a very tough question because, um, you know, I guess, you know, I don't. I don't think there is anyone in the room understand discrimination any better than I do. Sure. You know, I, I grew up in rural East Texas, um, and I also went to a um, uh, segregated um, school from elementary school all the way through uh, through high school. Um, so it's difficult for me to discriminate against anyone. Uh -huh. uh, I understand discrimination, and so it's it's hard for me to understand. You know, everybody talk about, you know, why, but I can't get into a person's mind or their body on what their body is telling them or what their mind is telling them. So I try not to discriminate against anyone because I don't really know what their body is telling them or what their mind is telling them. Because, sure. again, I understand discrimination. Um, you talk about your your um, your sister, you know, and I imagine uh, especially your parents probably ask why. Well, we don't know why. Only God know why. 
Um, and God put us all here and for a certain reason. And he put us all in certain situation for a reason. We don't know why. Ruby, I, my sister and I had a conversation one time and she said, Billy, uh, you've been married and divorced twice. I, I've been with the same partner for 30 years. So, you know, she's, she's got me on that. I, I can't I can't uh, disagree. But I tell you, I just don't think it's a level playing field. Um, I just don't think it's right for that to occur because I don't like seeing those records or those scholarships taken away from females who have worked so hard to compete against men for so long to finally get that, and now it's being stripped from them in a way. Do you, do you have any kind of response, Dan? I was afraid you would come to me. <laughs> That's it. You know, and, and, and again, I guess I put it within the framework of, of, just like John, it's within the framework of discrimination, and it's the framework of how people want to live their life and what, what opportunities they want to have. So I don't think we, that that's what I call a settled question yet. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people are raising it whether it's fair. Now, we know it's not equal. We know it's not equal. Is it fair? Is to really the question that we need to really grapple with. So it's not a, it's not a settled question now. In my mind, if you ask me and you really push me to the corner, I would have to tell you, I just don't know. I feel like it's not a question of equal, but it's a question of fairness. And in some of my uh, trans friends, and I have two of them, uh, we have this discussion all the time. And I, I still say that it's not a subtle question. I hear you. I know what you're saying. I know you feel discriminated against. And I know this is one aspect of it. But I don't think that's a question that we all have, have actually been able to get through it's almost like the question of, and I don't want to equate the two, but we had to have a, an American Disability Act because people who were disabled were discriminated against and they had no recourse. So the way we settled that question, at least at the level of legislating, is that we made a legislation. We, we came up with a law. We settled that question with a law. This question, um, unfortunately, is being settled with a law, but the law is interesting. The way it's coming about, it's coming about, should transgen kids have affirmative care? And that's the way the sense of the law is, is around it. So rather than dealing with the question head on and say, we got to settle it, what happens is basically we move to another issue that doesn't, in, in all, they're not really apples to apples. And that's what worries me more than anything else. Let's not make a political issue out of it. Let's let's settle it at the basis of human of our human humanness. Ruby, we've got less than thirty seconds, so I'm going to come back to this. But your grandfather worked with Ada Jenkins to establish the Davidson Colored School in 1938, and subsequently served as the principal. Not and, the principal, the PTA president. Uh, PTA president. <laughs> oh. And you live in Davidson in the home that once belonged to Ada Jenkins. Uh, we're going to come back from a break and we're going to talk about that. That has to be amazing each day because she is such a force in North Mecklenburg. Stay with us on Town Talk. We'll be right back after these announcements from our sponsors. Welcome back to Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. I am here with Dan Houston. He is a leadership coach and DA thought leader. I am have Ruby Houston, retired Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, and Montez Pogue has joined us. He is a financial center manager 
with Fifth, Fifth Third Bank. Just before we went to break, Ruby, I was talking about waking up every day and, and Miss Ada's house. Uh, how does that feel? It feels wonderful. It feels, I feel honored to have lived. And I feel oh, so much pride when my parents bought that home, Ollie and Bernice Houston, in 1955. They get the credit. I just uh, felt in 1978 when my mother built another home that I was ready to leave the nest egg and do my own thing. And I want to make improvements. And that house was built in 1926. So I owe it to Miss Ada Jenkins to keep that place decent and keep it up. And, Ruby, and to make it beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and Ruby, I've been saying you were a school teacher, but you worked at Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools as, as a family community service specialist supporting students, families, and schools, and the community. But Dan, she's been a mentor and teacher for, for her whole life, has she? Oh, she has, man. I mean, we, when you think retired school teacher, that, I mean, a, a school official, that's, that doesn't even get to the iceberg tip of what uh, Miss Houston, and I'm proud to say she has my last name, but we're, we've been trying to figure out how we relate it. We're related now. We're related. Right? Yeah, we're related. We're cousins a, now. <laughs> yeah, we we definitely cousins and stuff. But I mean, this uh, everywhere I went when I first came to Cornelius, people said, are you related to Ruby Houston? And after a while, I had to, I said, I got to find out who this woman is, because it's not only they asked me if I was related, but there was a certain amount of awe in their voice when they asked me, are you related to Ruby Houston? Because that orness, I understand now in terms of her community leadership, her community activism, how she treated the youth and the elder and how she really made sure that folks who lived in certain communities in Lake Norman area were treated fairly and got the kind of services that they wanted to do that. So I think that, you know, I mean, we sometimes don't, and, and I, I say she's, I, an elder, and I'm older than she is, and that's the whole thing. So I can't say she's an elder and give her that kind of prop. But when we look at folks in terms of Black History Month, and we want to, we want to give those people that have been trailblazers their flowers now. Sure. You know, we want to make sure that we understand how important that contribution was, because you really learn more in giving than you do receiving. And she really, I mean, she typifies that. Montez Fifth Third Bank has been very involved in our Chamber of Commerce and big, a big supporter of our diversity program almost from its inception in 2008. Why is uh, diversity, equity, inclusion so important to a financial institution like Fifth Third Bank? Well, you have to understand, Bill, first of all, thank you all for having me here. This is a great conversation and I'm so, so glad and blessed to be a part of it um, and to the chamber, you know, creating these opportunities. Um, it's important to Fifth Third Bank to to make sure that we're out in the community and we're we're really standing up for something or standing for diversity because that hasn't always been the case in the past with banks. And we understand that. And we want to make sure that we're putting our money with the where our mouth is, you know, and so to speak, or um, just making sure our work is there, like the work equity that we put, the sweat equity in the community, talking to people, seeing what's important to them. Um, that's how you build a brand and that's how you um, 
build trust in the community mm -hmm. um, and make sure that you're you're there when people need you. They can come in. They can speak to anyone at any time. And we pride ourselves on that. Um, you're, you're the millennial in the group. You're the younger person. <laughs> oh, am I? Uh, did you uh, did you feel any type of, of challenges as you were growing up? Did you feel displaced or did you feel embraced uh, going into school? You know, um, I had the opportunity to, my dad was in the military. So um, I've lived on the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest, and I've lived in Wilmington, North Carolina. John talked a little bit about that. Um, we won't go into all of the history there because of time, but um, I think it's important for people to look that up and see what kind of things happened and what the way forward is. Um, yes, of course, I've I've uh, gone through those sorts of things. Um, and you know what? You don't know it's not normal. You know, you, you unless your parents are talking to you about it and your family's talking about it and you learn from outside. I didn't know how to save money. I didn't know what a, a home loan was. I didn't grow up um, with anything but money in my top drawer, uh -huh. you know, so um, you you know that you don't know that you have a disadvantage. You just know that people live differently and they have the nice houses and, you know, maybe you have an apartment or you, you grow up in a project. Um, but the, the, the best thing about, you know, what we're talking about is the understanding. We get to understand each other um, and learn about each other and the challenges and the way forward. Fifth Third is a sponsor of tomorrow's program uh, over at Ada Jenkins Center. What is your role at Fifth Third here in Cornelius? Well, here at Fifth Third, I have the opportunity to add value to the community. Um, and you, we've talked before, Bill. Um, my goals around here is just to make sure that I'm making an impact, a positive impact to people's lives. And uh we want to make sure it's all people included, no matter where you sit, you know, whether it's your credit score that you have issues, debt management, um, whether you need help saving, you have some goals. People want to go on trips. They don't want to feel bogged down all the time, you know, so that's very important to us. And that's what my role and my team's role as a uh, financial center manager to make sure that we're giving people that opportunity to live their best lives. And Dan Montez is one of our chamber ambassadors explaining. Montez, what is a chamber ambassador? Oh, it's the it's the, one of the best responsibilities you can have because a you get to grow your business, um, you get to get in front of people, right? You get to make a sense of community, put people together. Like, hey, I know Dan; he does X, Y, Z. Or I've met Ruby the other day; she can do this. Why don't you two meet? Mm -hmm. You know, and and both of your problems are solved there or have the opportunity of being solved. Just being in spaces, you know, that's a big thing. And we talk about um, how the the chamber is a good connection point is one of the best in the region is how active we are. And we want to make sure that we're knocking on each other's doors and offering solutions for them. And um, the ambassadors are definitely the tip of that spear. Ruby, about eight years ago, nine years ago, sometime around in there, uh, this young man walked in my office. Uh, he said he was a John Maxwell coach, and I, I about fell out because I love John Maxwell. <laughs> I must have two dozen books at my house. I pulled this one out yesterday because uh, this is my favorite, Dan, the uh, mm -hmm. 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork. A uh, couple of quotes in here. Max Dupree said, we cannot become what we need to be by remaining 
what we are. And I think you alluded to that a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Another one, uh, John Wooden said, it's it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. H. <laughs> uh, Jackson Brown, boomerang theory, when you give your best to the world, the world returns the favor. Mm-hmm. You're a John Maxwell coach. What is your favorite John Maxwell book? Yeah, you know, it's. I, I think there's one a book he wrote that really, well, it's two books. Let me just say this. One is called The 15th and Valuable Laws of Growth. And in that book, he really does a good job of coming up with several case studies of how people have overcome obstacles. And he also talks about how we shouldn't be afraid of obstacles and adversity and pain, that in fact, those things really grow us. And so rather than it, it, the person grows depending upon how they face adversities, his theme in that book. And then there's another book that I wrote that really helped me at a real hard time in my life called Failing Forward. Can you imagine it? Think about that analogy of failing forward. And John Maxwell basically says that, hey, in every failure, there's a seeds to success, essentially, in that book. And that I read that book in one setting one night. And I guess I can tell folks I was on my knees crying. And uh, I was crying out to the Lord because things were so bad in my life. I just failed, uh, lost everything in a business venture, wasn't sure if I was going to go on. My relationship had, had crumbled with, with the love of my life, so to speak, until now, the woman I'm married to now. But for the most part, reading that book allowed me to stand up again. It really caused me to leave my little room and go out. So yeah, those are the two books that I think, uh, one is he's a business guru, but he's a mindset person and it helps people overcome obstacles in a very positive way. Does that, that get to the question? We, we got 30 seconds for you to answer this question. What's the difference between a business coach and a leadership coach? Well, that's a good question. In my mind, a business coach is someone that spends time with the development of your business. A leadership coach spends time with developing your leadership qualities. Now, now you can be both a business coach and a leadership coach. I'm a basically leadership coach, but I don't deal with the basics of building a business up, like dealing with like like Martez would 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 deal with things like you know like a let me get my let me get my finances together. Let me figure out how to come up with a business plan. Let me figure out what are the strategies I need. As a leader coach, what I do with is I I try to help people get to where they want to go. There's a difference between where they are now and where they want to go. And I help them develop a mindset as well as strategies on how to get to what what we refer to in John Maxwell and some other areas as my arriving point. Yeah. So... Montez, I want to thank you on behalf of the Chamber of Commerce for being one of our ambassadors and for also being the presenting yeah, sponsor absolutely. of Mars program. Ruby, I know you said you're not a teacher, but you absolutely are. You teach me stuff every time that I see you. And uh, Dan, thank you for being chairman of our diversity program. I met Ronald Reagan in 1992, and Ronald Reagan said it's not enough to be equal in the eyes of God. We have to be equal in the eyes of each other. If it's Wednesday afternoon, we're talking about our towns on Town Talk, WSIC. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.